Hey everybody, this is Frank Hanlotta, the director of Basket Case, and I'm here with the director of Sting of Death. Bill Griffay, we're back in the swamp with the jellyfish monster. <laughs> and we are indeed. Well, Bill, this is the world's first, and I think only, giant half-man, half-jellyfish movie. Oh, yes. So we might as well start with what, what's the origin of this project? Well, uh, it was written by a gentleman named Al Dempsey, who wrote it, and uh, Doug Hobart was instrumental in uh, helping design the monster. And we had a hell of a time because the monster is supposed to be half-jellyfish, and to keep air in the jellyfish monster's uh, big balloon head was, was a mammoth chore, so we thought we'd throw in a little TNA to, to keep the monster so we could just show his feet rather than the poor guy walking around with his head blown up. Well, now, in, in the script that um, Al, you know, by the way, Al Dempsey apparently also directed a film called uh, Sylvia's Girls right, for yeah. producer Harry Kerwin. Right. Well, I'm not real familiar with that. I'm not either, but, uh, you know, what was it? Did the script really detail how this monster looked? No, not really. It was sort of winged, you know, just half jellyfish. But what's interesting about the scene we're watching here is this was shot uh, on Miami Beach, but the underwater <laughs> was shot about 300 miles away up in um, uh, Rainbow Springs, Florida. So we had a shoot underwater, we had to intertwine all of this uh, to make it match because in Miami Beach, the water was not clear enough to do underwater stuff. So it was uh, a real chore to try and match the stuff weeks and weeks later. <laughs> well, you know, your, your first two films were, uh, you know, realistic racing dramas, okay? Correct. Uh, checkered Flag and uh, Racing Fever. So why shift gears into a horror film? Money. <laughs> uh, no, uh, the exec producer, I guess I was about the only guy around that had directed two films and had some experience and had some films that made some money. So uh, I was a hired gun as a director on this film. and. Uh, so that's why I, I switched gears because I didn't, you know, did not write it or anything. Well, let's let's talk about the producer a minute. This the guy is Richard S. Flink. Correct. And um, oh, look at that, Neil Sadaka. We we've got to talk about that too. Okay. But now um, you said he was an experienced uh, producer. Yeah, he, he was a uh, actual uh, a contractor, building contractor, and uh, he lived on Miami Beach and. They, some way uh, Dempsey, I guess, had met him and he wanted to get in the film business. So he insisted on shooting in his home on Miami Beach on the canal there. And having done two films, I know what a movie crew can do to your house. And I kept saying, Richard, please, let's you know, go, go rent a vacant house. And no, no, I own this house. I will save a lot of money, so we'll shoot in this. Well, back then, his wife had like $50 a yard carpets, which were, I mean, imported carpets and all that. Everybody back then, guys were smoking cigars and everything, and <laughs> dumping ashes and all of this, and I'll never forget the thing that really 
ruined his wife was they had an ancient Chinese vase that was uh, on a stand on the wall and the boom man is really following a scene and bam the boom knocks over this thousand year old Chinese vase and Zappo you know that was that was the end of her you know but uh, anyway we had to shoot in this uh, crazy um, beautiful house you know and, and try and it's supposed to be on the edge of the Everglades and uh, there's one shot in here somewhere I'll try and point out if I see it that we had to shoot a boat approaching down the canal and we had to have the lab and they hand painted out every house frame by frame wow. on this so this is you know way before any digital was even thought of right, right. computers or anything so it's, see that girl on oh, i'll point her out to you there's an actress here diana lund that was engaged to be married to um, um oh uh, King, what, what is the big talk show? Larry King. Larry King. Mm -hmm. She was engaged to Larry King, and she had was in a, a TV series, Land of the Giants. Uh -huh. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, I do. And that, that's Di Diana Lund is on the the right there. She's sort of in a gold suit. Just, oh yeah. Just about ready to sit down. Yeah, she goes. Yeah. Yeah. So she uh, uh, lives in California now. One of the things that I, I love so much about the film is it has the cheerful look of a you know happy-go-lucky teenage vacation movie or beach party movie, and you end up killing everyone. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, that, see this look, see this bump. Yeah. We had to write that bump in because <laughs> the first thing we did is we were filming in the middle of the Everglades with an airboat. And this actor, the very first day, flew out of the airboat and bashed his head. So we had to write in that he, because he, all throughout the movie had this big scab on his head. I'm glad to hear that because it's a remarkably bad makeup effect. <laughs> it was for real. <laughs> yeah, because it, it really just doesn't look right, does it? <laughs> And this, this little girl, Valerie Hawkins, she uh, took this piece of film and she went out to L.A. and she uh, got a big, big network television commercial that she was a spokesperson for some, somebody, you know, like Firestone, mm -hmm. one of those big companies. And uh, she made a bloody fortune of just being a spokesperson for her. So. The, the only other f uh, credit I could find of hers was she was the star of that film, Sylvia's Girls. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah, for Harry Curry. So I wonder if it's a nudie also because I, you know. Probably. I, <laughs> <laughs> it's worth finding now. <laughs> and this is your third film with Joe Morrison, who was the star of Racing Fever and Checkered Flag. Correct. Right. And I can't find any credits after this film for him. No, what uh, Joe did, he changed his name to Quinn Morrison. Oh. And he goes by Quinn now. Uh-huh. And, you know, he was a really good-looking kid, lived in Florida, and that's why I used him in so many films, because we got along good together and all. And uh, then he moved to California, and uh, you know how it is in L.A. with actors, you, you get sort of buried in the mainstream, so... 
he really didn't star in any films after these. You uh -huh. know? Uh -huh. um, I especially, I, I mean, he's, you know, he's okay as a good guy in this, but I really like him as the, he's a real rat bastard in, in uh, Check and Flag. Right. And I really like him better as a bad guy. <laughs> right. It really goes against it. Now tell us about Egon there, John. What's oh, his name? John Vela. John Vela uh, was in a, several of my films. And John was a, uh, more of a character actor, did a lot of stage work. Uh, and so I got along good with John. And he was in one of my, uh, not a film I directed, but um, I think. Um, Beatrice, or one of those films he was in. Uh -huh. that, that I he's in, in. He's in um, uh, Wild Rebels, also, I think. Yeah, right, right. He only has, uh, I think, he only has one scene in um, Checkered Flag, but. Uh, Naked Zoo, uh, uh -huh. the Rita Hayworth film, he had a small part in it, too. Yeah, now, now he's, the makeup that's on John there, Egon, is, um, according to the credits, it's not Doug Hobart. I assume Doug only did the. The jellyfish plants. It's done by Harry Kerwin, right, right? Which is the brother of William Kerwin, right. who starred in all the great Herschel Gordon Lewis, Dave Friedman films. But also, um, Harry Kerwin, um, I, I see he worked crew on numerous films, including 2000 Maniacs and stuff like that. But he also uh, produced and/or directed a number of films. That's worth mentioning. He did um, Adam Lost His Apple, starring Mal Arnold, Strange Rampage, Girls Come Too, which is a great nudist camp one. Judge the Wild Queen, uh, My Third Wife George, and then some, some uh, Sweet Bird of Aquarius, and then some more mainstream films like God's Bloody Acre, the Tom Katz, Barracuda, or usually starring William Kerwin, too. Yeah. What, what can you tell us about Harry? I'm, I'm going to tell you about Harry and Bill just in a moment, but here when they're going to flash this body, yeah. that's <laughs> Doug Hobart again. Doug, <laughs> Doug loved to be the dead guy in it, so he not only played the jellyfish monster, but he insisted upon being the dead guy. But this. is this his own makeup as the dead guy? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so anyway, once we flash onto that, then we can talk about the Doug, you know? Doug loved playing dead. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's wait. Let's wait and give everybody give a big hand to Doug here. Right. Let's hurry up. Yeah. Now pull, pull, pull him down so we can get on to the Kerwins. <laughs> I want everybody to see this uh, makeup job of. Uh, come on, they got a piece of canvas over him for God's sakes. Yeah, well, we got we. Little, <laughs> see how I had to do a high camera angle shooting down so yeah. it didn't show all the houses. Oh, here we go. <gasps> Doug, my God, Doug. Look terrible. What happened to you? You were stung by a jellyfish monster. And Doug will return on the <laughs> on the other half of this double bill and as Tartu. Correct. That's Pierce of Tartu. Okay, on to the Kerwins. Yeah, both of the Kerwins, Harry and Bill, uh, they were very versatile filmmakers and uh, you know, they worked as actors, they worked as cameramen, sound men, everything. And, and the Rooney uh, was, uh, I used to, there'd be young filmmakers on, and we had such a uh, rapport going, and we called him the Rooney. I'd say, Rooney, I want to do a Rooney shot, so go get the Rooney 
and let's put the Rooney on the Rooney and we'll do a uh, big Rooney. <laughs> and he'd say, okay, go get the Western Dolly. <laughs> you know, and, and he knew everything, you know, how to set up the shot and all, because we'd worked together so much, you know. But um, the, also, Betty Kerwin uh, was um, Harry's wife, and she was script girl, and she did a lot of my films. And then um, the... Um, the Rooney's um, wife, uh, I forget her first name, they call her the Duchess. Well, she did wardrobe and all. Was that Betty? No, Betty was the, the make or the uh, script gal. Uh -huh. That was Harry's wife. Okay. And the Duchess was uh, uh, um, the Rooney's wife. And I'll never forget when we were doing the Rita Hayworth film with Stephen Oliver, who was the Gigolo was supposed to be in these real expensive clothes and we're ready to shoot a scene with Rita Hayworth and Stephen Oliver walks out and he says, Bill, now would a Gigolo wear something like this? And he had a, 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 a shirt on that was completely wrinkled all up <laughs> and hadn't been ironed and everything, you know. And I went berserk, and, and Terry Merrill, who was working on the film as the associate producer, and he's the one that had hired, or had hired uh, the Duchess, and I start screaming at him, you know, what, what, why'd you hire her, and blah, blah, blah. You know, so anyway, five minutes later, I walked back into the wardrobe room, and the associate producer had an iron and an ironing board. <laughs> he was ironing the shirt <laughs> so we could do the scene, you know. So well, you know, you know when uh, Kerwin's last, uh, after you know starring in low budget films for many years, he ended his career playing bit parts in bigger budget films, mm -hmm. and like he's in Porky's Two and Absence of Malice and a couple of films like that, and he's he's billed finally as Rooney Kerwin. Oh, finally yeah, yeah, by yeah. the Rooney. Yeah. <laughs> So, oh, I love this. This is great. Yeah. Just take a moment and breathe. Yeah, so anyway, the girls uh, get it's, their two cents worth. It's so, it's so cheerful, and it's, it's so much... I think the film is... is I think it's better knowing everyone's going to end up dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, you know, the girls all do this wild dance number with the oh, guys, yeah. and I, I got a great story I got to tell you about this one guy that was in a couple of my movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get back to Richard Flint for a minute. Okay. Now, you were telling me a story about um, him renting a, a boat to shoot. Yeah, later on you'll see uh, in this movie, uh, Richard rented this like 90-foot boat. And we all show up and we're going out uh, in the ocean to do some underwater stuff off the Keys because we thought it would be clear enough water there. So we all show up at 7 o'clock in the morning, and the forecast was 30 mile an hour winds and 12 foot seas, you know. And I said, Richard, there is no way we can go out and do underwater stuff here. And so Richard said, I rented this boat, I've paid for it, we're going. So we put all the bikini babies on, the crew and everybody, and here we're going out. And it's like the perfect storm. I mean, we're <laughs> boom through these giant waves. Oh, brother, I gotta take a drink here. <laughs> so anyway, we go out and we <clears throat> get out there and couldn't even anchor. It was so rough. So we had this one mucho macho diver on, 
and he wanted to show off in front of the bikini baby, so he says, Richard, I'll go down, it'll probably be calm under the sea, I'll go down and see how it is for underwater film. And he dives overboard, and he just got swept away out the sea, and he's yelling, help, help, and we're throwing him donuts and ropes and everything to get him, you know, and he was so damn embarrassed, but, you know, and here, all of the crew was throwing up and all of this, so, and I mean, there was nothing but puke all over the, the deck, and I mean, I said to Richard, I said, Richard, now will you believe me, we can't do underwater? So we ended up driving 300 miles up to Rainbow Springs, which was a uh, uh, clear spring where crystal clear water now. Uh, but there's one scene here in this little patio. I, I'm going to try and s spot it. In that uh, we had hurricane warnings, and there was a hurricane. The wind was blowing like 50 miles an hour, and the sound man said, "I can't." do anything with this, you know, and I, I didn't want to loop the picture because back in those days there we weren't good looping facilities or anything, so I had the actors speak up, you know, and so it was stuff like this, oh, so you want a Pepsi Cola, huh? <laughs> They're all like practically shouting over this wind that was coming in from the hurricane, so that's part of low budget filmmaking. Well, now, I'd asked you this before, but you're not aware of that film that Richard Flink was executive producer on. It was called, it was shot as Love Goddesses of Blood Island. No, I really And, uh, and it was released, if I, I believe it was released in 1964 as Six She's and a He. And it's clear that it, it was directed by a guy named Gordon Heber. And it was produced by somebody named Frank Malagon. Yeah, Frank Malagon. And in fact... Um, the guy who wrote this film, Al Dempsey, was the editor of it. Right. And the guy who does all the music for you, Al Jacobs, right. he did the music for that film as well. Huh. And it and it was like, um, I got the impression that he must have just seen Blood Feast. Because yeah. he went out and it's a you know, gratuitously violent, gory film. And um, we're putting a chunk of the film onto the DVD as a little, I guess, mini tribute to Richard Flink. Who went. So whatever happened to him? I have not heard from Richard, uh, oh, I lost track of him after we did this movie, and I think he moved out of town, went to California or whatever, but I really haven't heard much about him uh, since, you know, because I moved on to other things, he went other directions. Well, that's the only other credit I could find for him was Love Goddess of Blood Island, which is, it, it's surprising too for a film that was, you know, early in the gore game, that um, I know uh, Herschel, uh, Gordon Lewis, and Dave Friedman had never heard of it either. They right, right. It. And it's really uh, out there with... Uh, now here's the scene. We had to paint out some of the stuff. See all of those uh, houses. Uh, you can see a lot of houses, but they had to paint it out like shrubbery and all. Oh, wow. To make it look like it was... Because the other side of that canal was uh -huh. solid houses. <laughs> Yes, and this is supposed to be in the middle of the Everglades, isn't well, it? Well, on the outskirts of the Everglades. Uh, he, he's in um, yeah, he's, he's Death a, Curse. Death Curse of yeah. character, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, and now here's a boatload of bikini babes. Right. This is, this is, I just, this is building to the jellyfish dance, which already has me shaking. Well, what was funny about one of these uh, young actors after he did this film, 
he thought he was going to be a big star, and he went out to California, and they told him, uh, you know, you got to have caps put on your teeth, you know. So he went to a, a Los Angeles dentist, and you know, to put caps on your teeth, they have to file them down to points, you know, where they put the cap over. So he thought he was going to pull a fast one because he didn't have any money. So the guy files all the, his teeth down, and he said. Well, my trust fund, I'm getting a check in next week and I'll pay you for this. And the dentist said, no, that's not the way it works. You get the caps when you get the money into my office. And so he walked around L.A. for weeks and weeks. He looked like Count Dracula with all, his, all these points filed off, you know, until he finally got his parents or somebody sending money to get these caps on, you know. And you're doing it again here, Bill. You're, you're filming close-ups of oh, yes. beautiful girls' butts shaking. That's, that's, well, there, <laughs> there we there go. There we go. <laughs> it's something I've started looking forward to now in every film. I know <laughs> I know the moment will come when the, the story and the plot, everything will stop, and we are going to watch Asses in Motion. That's the ticket. That's one of my trademarks. <laughs> this, this, like, this looks like one of those carefree you know, beach party yeah, type beach movies. Party. And I just think it's so great that they will all be dead soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and not just dead, but you litter the landscape. <laughs> that's it. When, when the boat sank, we got a bunch of them. And, uh, <laughs> so, well, speaking of Richard S. Flink, at the end of the movie, I'll show you a scene that he is in. Uh -huh. And I'll explain it to you, but I won't tell you yet about it. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Yeah, I mean, he's somebody I do want to know more about. Oh, here's some cruelty. Right. Cruelty to Egon. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he's so marvelously unsympathetic. <laughs> I mean, you, you just want to smack him, you know? <laughs> So anyway, I wonder where all these kids' big acting careers went. Well, who, where did you round them up from? Well, just from, the, you know, there's a lot of kids that were in uh, little acting classes and, and little theater and so forth. Uh -huh. and, uh, so back, back in those days, there wasn't a real big acting pool in Florida. So when you directed a film back then, you really had to be sort of a school teacher too, because uh, no one knew how to hit marks or, or they step into someone's key light or uh -huh. all of the tricks that were needed to, to make a film. You know. So uh, if they had any acting ability, you'd more or less had to teach them how to work before the camera. Now, um, let's talk about Neil Sadaka. He just happened to be in town doing a nightclub act, and I think Richard S. Flake went over to him and said, uh, you know, uh, I'll give you a couple thousand bucks for a song for a movie or something. And I think he just picked it up and that was it, you know. And did Al Jacobs write the song? I can't remember. Uh, was, was Al on the credits? Uh, Actually, I don't remember. Because Al uh, Jacobs was a great guy, a real great songwriter and he, uh, you know, believe it or not, he wrote, this is my country land oh, really? that I love. Uh -huh. 
and, and here's the real Everglades. And we uh, intercut this airboat sand. How, how deep are you in the real Everglades for stuff like this? This stuff was uh, pretty far out because I'll tell you a story here, which where I learned a great lesson. Richard knew somebody uh, that had a hunting camp in the middle of the Everglades. He insisted we had to go out to the Everglades. So we, now this is Rainbow Springs right. that intercut. Um, so Richard insisted we go out to the Everglades. And so we drive out Tammy in the trail with all the crew and the equipment and this and that load up in airboats and so by the time we get in the middle of the Everglades we've blown three hours of the day. We get all the way out there and the cameraman, the battery to the camera had fallen overboard. We had no way to shoot so now it's an hour back to Tamiami Trail. Make a phone call from the nearest gas station. Get someone from the equipment company. So we didn't start shooting till like two in the afternoon, you know. Yeah. And the logistics absolutely killed us. So I decided from then on out, I'll do second unit in the glades to show the glades. And then I'll pick a spot that looks like the glades, but where I can drive to and not have all those hours wasted on logistics. Uh, later on, you'll see that scene I'm telling you about. It's, we did it out of that hunting camp in the glades. Yeah. Uh, so... Anyway, what happened with this, um, we made the film and um, Juan Hildago Gatto and Richard Fink, which was different, F-I-N-K, right. he owned a drive-in theater and he knew something about distribution and they formed a company called Thunderbird International. And, uh, in fact, I have some of their some of their releases. Uh, one of the films they put out was Girls on the Rocks by Manuel Condi. Right. Other, other ones, Sextet, Even the Merman, <laughs> uh, Flaming Desire, and then um, uh, Devil Sisters, which is yours, Death Curse of Tartu, and Hell's Chosen Few. Those are just a few of the ones I found. Incidentally, if anybody seeing this or listening to this ever run in to a print or a clean video of the Devil Sisters, please get in touch with something weird video because that is like a lost uh, film that we would love to have something on. So contact either something weird video or contact me and let us know that you got the Devil Sisters. And I should point out that I am dancing the jellyfish as I am. Standing here. Oh yes, yes. Here we go. <laughs> What's great about it is it doesn't look like anybody's doing the same dance. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess whatever you do is the jellyfish. It's okay. <laughs> and I, I would urge all the listeners too to uh, uh, pick up the lyrics and uh, dance along with us. Right. And for some odd known reason, the jellyfish never took off as a big kiss. I can't, I can't imagine why. <laughs> you know, one other, one of the Neil Sadaka credit I should point out was a um, film called The Playgirl Killer, uh, starring Bill Kerwin. Really? Yeah, yeah. Directed by someone named Eric Santamaria. No, no, no. And I think Harry Kerwin wrote it, so, you know. Uh, but but Neil actually appears in that film. He's like oh, he the, he's like the little stud in the film. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Here he just does a vocal appearance. 
Right. I personally, I wish you would loop the scene and kept it going for hours. Look at that. It's, just, <laughs> <laughs> it's almost shameless if it wasn't so good. Right. Now, I also love the fact that nobody notices that there's a jellyfish monster in the pool. Oh, of course not. <laughs> No, I mean, just like in Stanley, Alex Rocco didn't notice there were water moccasins. <laughs> well, you know, personally, we're not noticing either. No. Do you want to talk about Stanley at all? Or? Sure, let's talk, yeah, because um, might as well do all your horror films. Right. Well, Stanley um, was uh, Chris Robinson, uh, played the Indian and he loved snakes and was friends with rattlesnakes and moccasins and so forth. But you mean, when you say friends, you mean in real life? No, no, no <laughs> as, as the character. You know, you know, one of his first films, um, Chris Robinson, was um, as a monster in the film Beast from Haunted Cave. Right. Yeah, cool. he, he actually plays the monster and builds the suit. And, right. You know. Plus uh, 12 O'Clock High. Oh, yeah, yeah. One of the army guys. Uh, uh, oh. How did they ever miss seeing this monster? Uh, they're, they're too busy jellyfishing. Oh, I see. Okay. Oh, good lord, look at that. And the man with the bump is back. <laughs> right. We'll show the scene, which is the first day of shooting, when he gets his bump. You know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we were talking about Stanley. And uh, so the way Stanley came about, I was with Ivan Torres, who did Flipper and Gentle Ben and all those kind of family things. And I was out in Los Angeles, and uh, I uh, saw in Variety where Willard was released about uh, it's a horror picture about a guy with, with rats and all. So I went to sleep that night, and I dreamt the whole story of, uh, of Stanley. And so I went to see an old pro distributor I knew named Red Jacobs. With the Crown International. With Crown International Pictures. He was president of Crown. So I said, uh, Red, uh, I've got a great idea for a movie. And he said, well, wait a minute. I just leave the screenplay with me. I'll read it over the weekend. And I said, Red, I don't have a screenplay. He said, well, leave me the synopsis. I don't. I said, I don't have a synopsis. And he said, get the hell out of my office. <laughs> you know, and he, at that time, he smoked these big uh, Havana cigars, which were $2 then, now they're 20 bucks. And so I knew I'd really tick him off, so I grabbed a handful of those out of the cigar <laughs> box. And he's screaming at me, Griffey, you son of a bitch, put those back. I'll give you one, but not the whole damn handful. And I said, calm down. I said, get your people in here. Let me tell you the story. So I told him the story of Stanley. And uh, he hesitated about 15 seconds and stuck his hand out and said, how much are you going to make this movie for? And I said, 125000 He said, you got a deal. But the big monkey on your back is you got to deliver this film uh, April 15th for the drive-in theaters. And here, it was the last part of November, and we had to start shooting. And back in those days, you know, the equipment was heavy, the, the lighting, the film was not fast. So you, um, and the editing was super slow because you didn't have 
AVIDs and computers and all that. So anyway, here I had no screenplay. I had to start shooting in about 10 days to two weeks. And so I knew this insane writer named Gary Crutcher, who uh, I called him up and said, meet me at the LA airport. And so he met me at the LA airport and I sat down with a, uh, oh my God, look at this scene. I'm <laughs> petrified from this. I don't know if I can go on and talk. I like how one minute his ankles show and the next minute <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> so anyway, here we go. Yes. Oh my God. Look this, at this. this poor bastard is going to lie uh, writhing and screaming for the next five minutes. <laughs> right, right. That's his dramatic <laughs> part. I wonder if this is on his reel. <laughs> so anyway, Gary met me at the uh, LA airport and uh, I sat with a yellow pad and wrote out all the scenes and the characters and all. And this was a Friday night, I was taking a red eye back to Miami and I said, Gary, I have to have this Tuesday morning in my office. So he sat there popping pills all weekend and wrote the whole screenplay on the weekend. <laughs> put it in the mail Monday night, or not in the mail, but in a dispatch with the airline. And here I had it uh, Tuesday, and we started shooting a week later. And uh, how I got off on this story is the, the swimming pool. Here we got the jellyfish monster <laughs> nobody sees. Well, Alex Rocco was a big millionaire uh, in, the, in the Stanley script, and every morning he went for a swim. And Chris Robinson loaded the pool with uh, with uh, water moccasins, and so when we were ready to shoot the scene, Alex Rocco came up to me. You remember who Alex Rocco was, incidentally? Oh yeah, right? yeah, oh yeah. He's in. Uh, well, he gets shot in the eye in Godfather. Yeah, yeah. And he's also the lead in uh, Russ Meyer's Motorcycle. Right, right. So and then he won an Emmy for uh, Teddy Z, the TV series. But anyway, um, so Alex comes up to me and says, Bill, you know, I've been an actor all these years. I've never refused to do what a director tells me. But no way am I going in that pool with uh, real snakes. And I said, no problem, uh, Alex. I'll just get some rubber snakes and we'll, uh, you know, cure the whole thing in the editing room. So he said, oh, thanks a lot. So he dives off this board, and little did he know I had two snake handlers hiding behind the building, and they each had two snakes in each hand, so there was a total of eight snakes. And as soon as Alex hit the water, we hit him with these eight real snakes, and he is like ready to have a heart attack, screaming and fighting to get out of the water. And uh, when we got into the editing room, everything was so panicked at the time, but when we got in the editing room with the soundtrack, as soon as he bobbed up and those real snakes came out of me, he yelled, Rafay, you son of a bitch, you'll never do this to me again. I hate you and all this. And what did he say? He was on one of the Good Morning America or one of those things. I saw him on Bob Costas talking about it. Right, right. And he, he pretty much cursed you out as much as he could on network television. <laughs> right, right. Now, what, what, what are those made of? Are they, are they little plastic bags? Yeah, little plastic bags. <laughs> oh, oh, come on, Frank. They're little baby uh, jellyfish. Oh, that's right, that's right. 
Now here was a boat we found, and we towed the thing out, and it was sinking. So, <laughs> does it does it match the other boat? I didn't even notice. Halfway. Oh. But, but, I mean, what difference does it make? <laughs> so anyway, we had to tow it out half underwater. And then, oh look at those are real jellyfish. You know, right? I also appreciated the fact that the the monster carries his own axe. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> That's the rigor for most Yeah, but you didn't notice there was a little plank <laughs> onto the real boat that we had up in Rainbow Springs, and because I couldn't take a real plank out of a boat and blow all that money, so we tacked a little tiny plank on, and he uh -huh. took the plank on. Uh -huh. and, oh, oh, this, this is so cruel. This is this is just so perfect. Right. <laughs> Suddenly, it's not an AIP beach movie anymore. <laughs> no, it, it was a Sam Arkoff would never approve of this turn of the beach blanket bingo into a horror movie, right? And really, I guess I mean it really is tough to get too terrified about jellyfish. I don't. Know. <laughs> well, so I'll tell you, Frank, if they bite you in the right place, yeah. you'd be terrified. <laughs> uh, now you were mentioning Gary Crutcher before. And I, I just want to point out um, two of his other credits, which I, I, I love, are Super Chick. He wrote right. that. He wrote The Name of the Game is Kill, which is with Jack Lord and Susan Stratzberg and Dread Queen T.C. Jones. Right. And right. It's, a, it's a marvelous film. And he also played uh, Charlie Brown, the little kid, not the little kid, but the teenager in Giant from the Unknown, Ed Kuhn's right. film, which is. Plus, he also played as an actor um, the. Um, uh, the professor, one of the professors or doctors in That's Stanley. Right, right. And what was interesting, if you ever see Stanley, there's a scene, and I told Chris Robinson, I said, now, when you do this scene, we're not going to tell Gary about it, but you grab Terry, or Gary, and pull him over the desk. And so, only Chris and I knew this. <laughs> Poor Gary is sitting there. <laughs> Chris reaches and grabbed him and yanked him right over the desk, and I mean, Gary was so ticked off. Now, now, who did you say he shot? Oh, he shot a producer in one of his films. <laughs> but Gary, I love you if you ever see this. You know I love you, Gary. I know Gary and I are good friends, and he knows he was a wild and crazy guy back in the 60s and 70s, and now he's cleaned up his act. But weren't we all? Right. Now this cave we built in a studio, uh, which was a television studio, it was the only studio in Miami at the time, uh -huh. and we built this cave, and when they come up into the cave, uh, the, uh, had a match at all with the underwater stuff we did 300 miles away. Uh -huh. Oh, come on, let's see your head. <laughs> Almost. Now see, this is where he creates his jellyfish monster. Oh my God, look at this. I'm petrified. <laughs> Frank, I can't I, talk anymore. I, I, this is too scary. What do you, what do you call those things that when the electricity goes... <laughs> those are Frankenstein. Oh, yeah, old Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, that's that's where, yeah. But every mad doctor said has to have them. Right. Oh my God, it was Egon? Egon. Yeah. I had no idea. Oh, look at this. They're all and good. before we leave Chris Robinson, I just want to point out one of his other credits. He's, he directed another great Florida movie, Thunder County. Oh, yeah. With Mickey Rooney. Uh, was, that, was that the one? Did you ever see that film? Because he did 
he directed a film that was about a, a albino during the Civil War or something. That That's not Thunder County, no. No? No. Because um, Chris did a favorite film of his, which was about a slave and uh, albino that uh, fled from the, the master or whatever during the uh, Civil War. He traipsed all through the Florida Everglades and back country, and there were some beautiful scenes in that. Yeah. All right, well. See, everybody that lives on the edge of the Everglades, uh, they uh, have dinner like this. You know? <laughs> well, you're giving the audience time to breathe here. Yeah, okay. After the wholesale slaughter you just put us through. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Doug Hobart a minute. Okay. Because um, the guy has a, it sounds like he just had a fascinating, fascinating career. Apparently he began by doing um, his own spook show in right. the, in the uh, early 50s. And then uh, um, he was Dr., uh, I think, well, Hobart backwards in his horror shows or whatever that is, Dr. Trabo <laughs> or, or Traba. Then he did a nightclub act uh, with a blessed style routine. And he also played a werewolf in a um, unsold shot in Dayton, Ohio TV pilot called The Professor, mm -hmm. 1958. Well, Doug really honestly believed he was a reincarnated from Lon Chaney, and he liked to do all this special makeup. And Doug was in about three three films of mine. And anything, if you, if you had a scene with a coffin, like we did in Impulse with William Shatner, he insisted on living or, or laying in the coffin and being the corpse. And he laid there for three or four hours while we're setting up this whole lighting thing in a, in a real uh, mortuary. And uh, he just slept, had the greatest time. And, uh, he, you know, anything to do with death or horror or this and that, uh, he, he was all for it, you know. He also, uh, he also played a werewolf in a, at a, in a Miami Beach strip club in a routine called Beauty and the Beast, which I think is marvelous. Mm -hmm. And then um, one of the other projects, I, uh, he, he, he was hired by Thunderbirds Joe Fink right. to do the advertising and promote uh, the film The Weird World of LSD, yeah, which yeah. can't be played, but he did. <laughs> <laughs> Plus he... Uh... Oh, incidentally, here we're going to the real Everglades. Uh -huh. uh, this shot, uh, we got off from Fink's house in Miami Beach and went out into the real glade. So this was one of the, the first films that you really got to see a hunk of the Everglades, you know. It's and, a nice shot, too. And back then, airboats were pretty rare. That you, I mean, now you see millions of them on TV and all that people up north really were not aware of, uh, you know, airboats and, and what the glades look like and so forth. Yeah. So, and it looks like a lot of time went into these shots too because you had to find a place to stand that you weren't sinking right, and right. get the boat to come around and go back. And now this is the scene I was telling you about where the actor, let's see if he's got his bump on his head here. I don't, I don't think so. Does he? I can't tell from here. Anyway. One of these shots is where he bashed his head for the first time. This, this was the very first day of shooting in the middle of the Everglades on this little hunting camp uh -huh. island. 
And uh, we, uh, you know, which I'd never go out there again uh, unless I had a $100 million budget and could blow the money, you know. Yeah. But, uh, so. Are we back on the, uh, in the TV studio? Uh, I can't remember if we built this or not. I think we did, yeah. We built it, uh, not in the TV studio, probably in a warehouse or something. We just went in the real cabin. Oh no, we built this in Fink's garage. <laughs> he had a big double garage, so we used that as a... Uh, oh, that, uh, Frank, don't... Say, are those plastic bags, for God's sake? Those are baby jellyfish. I mean, use your imagination. Now, let me, let me, I, I'm fascinated about the people, too, who were working down in Florida in these early days. And one of the other things Doug Hobart did was he promoted um, two K. Gordon Murray films, apparently after they were already on TV. Right. He had drive-in showings of the films, uh, where he would run around the drive-in as a vampire, uh, <laughs> and then he gets scaring the people in the cars. Now, you, did you know uh, K. Gordon Murray? Oh yeah, K. Gordon Murray was a producer and a film distributor, and very sharp gentleman. I mean, he really knew how to take advantage of exploitation and all. What, what I find fascinating is Murray's career, it, it, it's like you cut it in half, he did all these imports of either children's films or uh, horror movies, usually from Mexico, and um, just some of them, it's like, you know, uh, The Vampire's Coffin, Curse of the Aztec Mummy, Robot vs. the Aztec Mummy, Santa Claus, Little Red Riding Hood, World of the Vampires, on and on and on, Puss in Boots, Samson in the Wax Museum, and all this stuff, and then the other side of him were, were these, I love this shot. <laughs> it upset the dog. <laughs> Here we're talking and the audience should be absolutely scared. They are. they are. That's why they're listening to us. Oh, I see, I see. And then the other half of Murray's career were, were adult doesn't, films. Wait, Frank, doesn't everybody walk around with flipper fins in the middle of the other I do. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other half of Murray's career were adult films like Eve or the Apple, Price of Sin, The Great Shanty Tramp, uh, which was shot by your friend J.R. Remy. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus, Remy, yeah. And uh, uh, Savages from Hell. and So what, do you, what can you tell us about uh, Mr. Murray? Well, he, he always went with a trend, and whenever something was happening, he jumped on the bandwagon as a distributor. But I think the one he made the most off of was that Mexican Santa Claus film. He bought the U.S. rights for something like $5,000, dubbed the Santa Claus movie into English, and he'd make himself a couple hundred prints. And two weeks before Christmas, every year, he'd saturate the theaters with them, right. run for two weeks, made a bloody fortune, then stuck him back in the vault till next Christmas. And he did that for about 10 years. Yeah. And he'd always go to different cities, though, because anybody that ever saw the movie, you know, they brought their kids to see Santa Claus, and I think they were really wanted their money back, so. What was in the water? 
I mean, well, this is real. This is all real everything. Yeah. So why was she agreeing to fall repeatedly in the water? I mean, I wouldn't. <laughs> well, that, that, no, really, that is. See that that is muck, which muck is very, very soft, uh -huh. and you get stuck in it. Your, your legs get done. So half of her falls were were legitimate, <laughs> you know, and uh, so. Oh my God, I'm petrified. <laughs> Audience, close your eyes. You can't take this. Please, please. The direction on this is fan. Oh, oh my God, look at that. There's Doug. There's Doug again. <laughs> now, now we're back in Richard Fink's garage. I mean, I mean the cabin right outside. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh. Now, I have... Uh, Charlie Kilgore did a great interview with Doug Hobart in his magazine Echo. And uh, Hobart talks about making the suit here. And he said it was a modified diver's wetsuit topped by an extra thick plastic bag. And uh, the plastic bag was airtight and he had a breathe through a tube underneath the costume that was connected to an external air pump. Well, sometime we, we pump it up. But then when the bag uh, filled up with air, then when he moved around, he didn't have any, anything but the air that was in the thing. So some scenes you'll see the, his head sort of deflating. <laughs> but at the end of the movie, when he has the big fight with uh -huh. Joe Morrison, he, uh, all the air got stale and poor Doug was starting to suffocate <laughs> inside the monster suit, you know, and we had a sort of saving, you know, which reminds me, uh, can I tell a, a odd job story at this point? <laughs> of course, anybody can tell an odd job story, okay. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, odd job. Yeah, Harold Sakata. Harold Sakata was the big oriental in Goldfinger, and uh, I used him in several of my movies, and we did a picture called Impulse with William Shatner, and Sakata was uh, chasing Shatner, and Shatner is supposed to drop a rope on him and start to hang him. So we had the rig all set up, and so uh, they started to hang Sakata, and the darn rig slipped, and the rope went over Sakata's neck. Well, Sakata's neck was about 24 inches, I mean, gigantic. <laughs> and, Shatner's supposed to be this psychotic guy, and so he starts using uh, Sakata as a punching bag in the scene. And all of a sudden, Sakata's tongue comes out, and he starts turning purple. And Shatner sees it, and Shatner says, Cut! Cut! And Shatner's gravity. Well, Sakata was so big, Shatner couldn't pick him up, and we all ran off camera. And the cameraman kept filming, and it shows all of us trying to cut the rope and get Sakata down. And uh, that was on Johnny Carson. They actually used the footage of showing all of us running, pulling Sakata down, you know. Who was the guest? Was it Shatner? Yeah, Shatner was on and showed the footage, you know, on, on Johnny. And in that particular scene, too, Shatner was supposed to come down the rope and he wanted to do his own stunt and he came down the rope and we had some knots in the rope and he got his finger caught in the rope and broke his finger. 
Jesus. And to this day, Shatner still, every time I see him, he says, you son of a bitch, look at this finger. It's all, it looks so crooked. It never did set right. He's great in that. He is so creepy in that film. It's just, it's... <laughs> but, you know, we're talking, do you remember Ruth Roman? Yeah, yeah. Uh, pardon me, this is all done 300 miles away at Rainbow Springs here. Oh, there's Richard S. Flink. He wouldn't... He wouldn't pay for the real actor to come up with it. So he had never scuba dived before, and and during one of the things, he started drowning, and Joe Morrison saved him. But uh, you know, he was doubling for the professor that. Uh, Did you put a little bump on his head? I don't know. Did it But. Uh, you know, I kept saying, "How? What are we going to do? We we're going to be up there, and we don't have an actor with us." And so he said, "I can swim," and he never scuba dived in his life. So anyway, uh, no, this this uh, we'll watch this. I don't want to tell uh, Ruth Roman stories yet. I'll tell them later. But, but see, there's Richard in the background, puts yeah. it along. <laughs> supposed to <laughs> there he goes come on Joe save me please <laughs> so this is supposed to be the entrance to the cave that was uh -huh. in the studio so he's looking for it there. Mm -hmm. come on Richard get down there <laughs> So this is all the stuff we were supposed to do off the keys and right. the 30 mile an hour winds and 12 foot seas and all that, you know. See, now here's the real actor. This is in the Everglades here. So I had to match all this stuff, which uh, you know, you gotta pretty well remember how you did everything. Well, you know, it's, um, I should mention too here uh, how lucky we are to even have this film because, um, you know, a lot of people assume that there's somehow a perfect print for every movie made or that somehow or another there's a beautiful clean negative just sitting on a shelf somewhere, okay? And the reality, unfortunately, is that too many films are lost yeah, in bad condition. And when we got the, we were so happy, Mike and I were so overjoyed to get this film, which was, it, it, it's, it, it hasn't been seen in so many years. I don't think it was ever sold to television. Right. I never saw, I never saw any prints of it. I never saw a pre-record of it. Couldn't wait to see it. And when uh, we got the negative to it, we were thrilled. And we sent it to the lab, and the lab calls us up right away, and they said, uh, forget it. It's covered in mold. Right. That's right. the negative. And uh, we sent it to three separate labs, to see if they could demold it, or whatever you do with mold on a film. It was on, I mean, not on a film, but on the actual negative. And uh, each lab had a different, oh, you know, we'll make a dupe this, we'll dupe that, we'll do it. It just sounded terrible. And finally we found a lab that just went ahead and, I guess, I don't know what they did to get the mold off, but lo and behold, the picture looked beautiful underneath. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the soundtrack is a little funky, but we played with that a bit, because the soundtrack, had deteriorated significantly, but um, I just you know it's it's a case where 
this was a rare film that almost was a few seconds away from being a lost film. Right, and see, see the thing that people don't realize, back in the 50s, 60s, and even early 70s, there was no such thing as videotape or DVD or, and you know, you put these in the drive-in uh, circuit in the local neighborhood theaters and you'd see your run and then some of them played foreign and it was all theatrical back then and so you you didn't know what was coming in the future and you really most of these low budget deals you, you couldn't keep it the negative in a lab forever because they charge you high fees to store the thing and so forth so that's why so many films have been lost and some of them and as you were saying what you know, these viewers should realize is, you know, they're, if they see a little tiny scratch or a blemish here or there, that my God, a nude scene in the <laughs> 60s. This is unbelievable. But, it, oh, uh, she's got to get it now. Wait till this jellyfish hits her. Uh, but anyway, uh, but, you know, people should not compare these to some hundred million dollar Harrison Ford movie that was released last month on DVD, you know. And it's also, it's also worth noting that the films were constantly decomposing. I mean, every day that something goes by, they're just plastic. Right, right. And they are rotting away, and I think we were just lucky to have this in the nick of time. And uh, uh, in fact, we, when we heard the condition it was in, um, we immediately canceled the release because right. we didn't think it was it was going to get done and then when when we got the results back we were so thrilled to see how beautiful it looked considering um, you know we thought gee maybe we should put it back on the schedule well we were surprised to learn that image never took it off <laughs> and what's one of the reasons why I had to come down here as soon as I did so we can get this because it's still on the schedule after us assuming that well it's bumped <laughs> Well, it, it sure, we're, we're, you know, naturally, we're not looking at the exact DVD, we're looking at a video as we're saying these words, but uh, it, it, even the video looks beautiful, it's yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, And I had seen a, um, you had sent uh, Mike a, a, a video, half-inch video of this film right. that must have been mastered in the early 80s because right. it was just so old and funky and I loved it then I kept thinking we have got to we've got to put this film out uh, I mean you don't get mutant jellyfish movies every day no, no. I mean this is the last of the jellyfish monsters <laughs> right into the arms of Egon oh jeez uh, so you know how many uh, in, in, those days, you know, the drive-in circuit, everybody went to them and had the double bill. And uh, when we get into Death Curse of Tartu, I'll tell you how Death Curse came about because the sting of death, which I don't think will. Well, how many, how many, you know, this was made for the drive-in market. How many prints of this do you think were actually struck? Well, what you used to do back in those days, like the, they had what they call states writers. And all the majors like MGM and 20th and all, and all the regional offices like in uh, Jacksonville was a regional office, Charlotte and uh, Kansas City and New York and so forth. And all they had, uh, all the majors had offices and personnel, secretaries and 
so forth that would sell to the theaters, but the state's writers would handle independent films. And like uh, the uh, Clark brothers up in Jacksonville were the state's writers. And we would strike uh, normally 35 to 50 prints, and then you'd do what you call bicycle them around. You wouldn't see nowadays the majors will make 1,500, 2,000 prints and they saturate the whole United States. Where back then you'd bicycle them the territory. In other words, you'd pay Florida, <coughs> you'd, you know, play Georgia, Carolina, so forth and so on. And because prints have always been expensive, uh, regardless of what the uh, inflation rate was. <coughs> and uh, so I would say this had maybe 50 prints uh, struck on it. So if you didn't see this film right away, if you saw this a year or two later, you probably saw one hell of a battered print. Oh yeah, yeah, it was bad. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I remember you know I grew up seeing films on Forty Second Street, and uh, to me, I associate film with splices, right, scratches, right. speckles, even reels out of order. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was common. I just I just took that as the the film going experience. I'm not I'm not used to this looking clean. <laughs> well, when I when I lived in New York as a kid, you know, I lived on Forty Second Street in those theaters. I'd spent because you got the double and triple. Sure, sure. And, I started and, going when I was fifteen. I would cut school. Yeah, and and I'd live there for eight hours a day mm -hmm. at least. Mm -hmm. It's going from movie to movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, unlike today where there's like nothing out there I want to see, back then it was a question of how many can I cram in on one day. Right. And very right. often the double bill or triple bill was only planned there for a day or two. Right. You'd sometimes go in the afternoon. By the time you came out in the evening, it had a new marquee already. Well, one of my favorite movies back then, and still is, is Gunga Din. Uh -huh. With Cary Grant and Victor McLaughlin and Douglas Fairbanks Jr. and Forty Second Sam Jaffe. Sam Jaffe, you know, played Gunga Din. You know, now you may talk of gin and beer when you're caught and say that, yeah. Oh no, we won't get into Kipling now. Really. <laughs> now this is uh, not a Kipling esque moment. Oh, this isn't Kipling. Oh, oh this is Egon. <laughs> so, Poor horny bastard. Right. I mean, she doesn't want baby jellyfish. So. But I, <laughs> I like his motive for this also. Yeah. I'm killing everybody because I love you. Right. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, well, uh, this is in uh, Fink's living room. See that painting? That's a real painting. Uh -huh. It's probably... Uh, and cigar ashes by the time the crew finished with it. Not to mention large jellyfish stains, right? <laughs> <laughs> Flipper tracks in the hallway. <laughs> oh boy. Let's, oh, 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 oh. She's going to pass out. Oh. oh, my God. Yeah, but you know, you have to have the guy carry the girl in all these. That's right, right. It's, 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 you know. Into the airboat. It's the law. Right. You know, the wild part about airboats is not many people realize it. We always, you know, film purposes, you take them down canals and all. They're not designed to go into deep water. They're designed to go into Everglades water, which in the prairie is probably only a foot deep or so. And if you really harry them too much, they'll uh, tip over in deep water. You know, 
It would have been a great visual here if he was wearing his jellyfish suit here. Oh, yeah, I'm driving <laughs> there, but why not? You know? but, uh, I don't think uh, Doug could have seen through his plastic uh, bag over his head. Well, he also tells a story about wearing the suit while he was stalking, I guess that scene earlier where he was stalking the girl through the swamp. Yeah. And apparently um, the heat and everything got to him and he apparently went up to 107 degrees. Yeah, and I think that was in the studio when he was fighting Morrison to see coming up. Because he said he, he said he says that he was on the verge of heat stroke and someone poured a bucket of ice <laughs> on his costume and the poor guy went into shock. <laughs> now this is a real Everglades. This is the prairie part of the Everglades, not the big cypress. Uh -huh. but, uh, as they call it the Sea of Grass. It's a beautiful shot. Yeah. Where we were in other airboats and all this is handheld. Stuff from other airboats and so forth. So, airboat POV. Uh huh. So, anyway, now we're going to end up uh, going into the cave, but then we have to go in 300 miles away in Rainbow Springs <laughs> because uh, we, we couldn't uh, use the 90 foot boat that Richard did rented in those high seas and all. Maybe on this airboat chase I'll finish that Ruth Roman story about Shatton. Yeah. Well, Ruth Roman, you know, had been uh, with Kurt Douglas in The Champion and she'd been in a lot of big major movies. And uh, We have a dog here that's flipping out. Obviously the boat chase is getting to him. Right. Calm yeah. down, boy. Okay. So, uh, any event, the first day on the set, uh, William Shatner played the psychic, psycho killer. In fact, his, his first victim was Bill Kerwin. Right, right. <laughs> and I had a scene set up that was shot next to a big fish tank. And it was not in the script, and Shatner came out and he said, Bill, what do you think about if during the middle of the scene with Ruth, I uh, grab, reach in and grab one of the goldfish you know, and uh, and I said, Bill, it's terrific, you know. I said, that, that's this character. And so Ruth Roman heard this, and she's an old pro. She knew it was going to steal the scene right out from under. So she says, that's not in the script. I'm not doing that. And she stormed off the set, you know. And she, we, had, we were shooting in an actual house, and her dressing room was one of the bedrooms. So. You know, she expected me to run it. Oh, please, Miss Roman, you know, we'll do it your way or whatever, you know. So fortunately, it's the first day of the shoot, so I let her steam for about 15 minutes, and finally I sent the, uh, the first assistant director outside of her door and said to the, he said to the secretary, call the production office and get the producer out here right away where Faye wants to see him. And so I knew Ruth was in there and she said, this crazy bastard's gonna fire me. You know, so she comes out on the set and she's, well, I've reconsidered, I've decided I'll do the scene. I'm ready. And I said, uh, Miss Roman, you might be ready to do it, but I'm not ready. And she says, what do you mean? I said, 
look, whenever you or Shatner make a suggestion that I like, I'll use it. Or if I don't like it, I'll say I don't like it. But uh, I'm directing this movie. You're not. Do you understand me? And she said, yes, sir. And from then on, we were buddies, you know. But all of these major actors will always test the director to see if, uh, you know, they can get away with stuff. But that was, uh, she was a real tough chick. You know, she survived that big um, boat sinking. What was that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that ship that sunk? Uh, I don't know. I remember seeing the newsreel footage of it. Yeah, yeah, Ruth Roman was on that ship that sunk. Yeah. Did you ever see the baby? She's great in that, where she's the psychotic mother with her two daughters, and they they, they raise um, their their baby is actually a grown man that they've just made. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's fabulous. It's like you know they they've they've made him an idiot because they've kept him in because she hates men. It's really wonderful. It's <laughs> who directed that? Oh God, I don't remember. Oh, Ted Post, I think. Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, Ted Post so. went on to some big stuff. Right? Yeah, I think, I believe so, but uh, hey. Mm -hmm. So this is in our cave here now. Uh, how did he, I, I always wondered how he got the equipment down there. <laughs> um, dramatic license. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. He's Egon, he's allowed. Right. Anybody right. named Egon is usually allowed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother. Now, you, you also had a... I saw this great promo uh, footage of you uh, that you directed with Bill Shatner for something called Fame. Oh yeah, Fame. What, what was that? That was a corporation that we were uh, involved in. That we were going to uh, um, go public uh, on a well, it actually, it was a limited partnership type basis to do low budget films. You know, and two by low budget, two three million, which was low budget by Hollywood standards, but high budget for us. And uh, so Shatner was a partner in that. And uh, unfortunately, the, uh, the way the thing was set up, um, there was what was called an escrow break, which was like a half a million dollars. And the brokers wouldn't push it because they didn't get their commission until that escrow break occurred. So. Anyway, the uh, the thing never materialized like we'd hoped, but uh, uh -huh. but Shatner uh, helped us out on that. And you got a great short out of it. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, um, a man and his jellyfish, and he's so happy about them. Right. <laughs> you know, I think he gets his jollies off. Well, I mean, it's not often one does have rapport with jellyfish, and he does. Uh, well. I mean, what would you rather have, a jellyfish, a rattlesnake, or a mako shark? You know? I'd rather have a jellyfish. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm, 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 this is, this is a one of a kind, huh? Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, when I did mako, uh, did you, you heard the story about the, the girl that uh, the shark attacked for real in that? Oh, with the, that you thought was dead? Yeah, yeah. Oh God, yeah, tell that. Yeah, that was, uh, we were over in Bimini and we were, and, uh, this girl was supposed to be doing an underwater act in a swimming pool. And so the, the, the nightclub owner had this shark that was uh, 
kept away from her, but by a big plastic shield. But uh, via the uh, this dog is going nuts here. The, yeah. It's 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 only make believe. It's okay. It's okay. okay. So anyway, uh, it ended up that uh, the shark got through the plastic thing and attacks this gal. So. We had this real shark in Bimini, a 12-foot tiger shark. And so we threw him up on the beach and let him die and dry, dry it out and all. So the divers came up to me and they said, Bill, uh, is it okay if we pull the teeth out of this shark? Because we can get like 20 bucks a piece for the teeth. And I said, sure, go ahead. So they get pliers and they pull all the teeth out. So this shark had been out of the water like an hour, hour and a half. And we get in the saltwater pool in Bimini, and I was going to do it with fast cuts, and we're going to shove this dead shark at this gal, and she's doing her underwater ballet act. And when the shark gets in the water, we shove the shark, and the damn shark was still alive. And so in the scene, you can literally see her, the shark's mouth open, and take this. A girl in her, in, you know, her leg in his mouth and start shaking her. And uh, I mean, our mouthpieces fell open <laughs> and we swam up, grabbed the shark by the tail and pulled her off. And here he, he was gumming her to death. You know? <laughs> yeah. And if I had to have those guys let him pull the teeth out, you Jesus. know, we would have one gal that was uh, mincemeat. But it ended up that. Uh, you know, that shows how tough a shark is, you know, that we thought that after an hour, hour and a half, that shark would be dead, you know, but the fresh water revived him. And why am I talking about Mako oh when we're getting into this? Look at this, look at I mean, this. Doug, Doug, baby, look at this. <laughs> it is just amazing. It is uh, just amazing. <laughs> see? see? It now, is just Now watch when, when, uh, Joe Morrison comes in. Now see how yeah, yeah, um, yeah. the head is all blown up? Yeah, yeah. As you'll see later on, it starts deflating. Uh-oh, <laughs> uh-oh. Joe Morrison to the rescue. I can see it coming now. Um, what's he going to do? Is he going back? I forgot. Well, uh, yeah, that's interesting too. Because what was he going to do with this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think he's trying to turn himself back into Egon. Okay. But uh, Morrison fouls him up by coming into the cave. Yeah, he's, the he's seam. To, the seam is showing. Yeah, and he's starting to deflate. Right. Right. A little square pool there. <laughs> well, I, I hope none of the crew peed in that pool. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you like the little flare bit? Yeah, why not? Underwater, I thought that would be, I, I tried to get him to stick it in the, in the jellyfish's uh, jelly. <laughs> <laughs> How do you like the skull? Yeah, left, <laughs> left over from Tartoo. Well, actually, it's, it's probably used later in Tartoo. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> same skull. But, but this is the uh, scene where Doug ran out of air in, because we... Yep, see how the certain shots, the bags start yeah. to as he's breathing up the air, you know. <laughs> oh boy, this is a, a real nail biter if I ever saw one. Or a bag buster. <laughs> right. uh, 
How, uh, how could, could Doug see through that? Barely, barely, you know, just a, a blurry image, you know. Jesus. But uh, I, maybe that's why I decided to use the flare. So yeah, right, right, you know, it's something like, to look at. You see, see the flare thing. <laughs> yeah, his, his bag is drooping. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think um, that wasn't the only thing drooping after he got out of that wetsuit. <laughs> Uh, come on, we need a shot of Valerie now, terrified. Come on. For uh, Faye, at least she could do a close up of Valerie, terrified. Whoops, Joe slipped a minute. Uh, <laughs> oh, there she Oh, my God. Come on. Oh, no, he's back not. with his head, head really starting to droop now. <laughs> See how it's getting wrinkles in it? <laughs> Maybe you couldn't have turned him into a spokesperson for like land bags or something, you know? That, oh, we we could have got them to invest in a movie. Been, <laughs> in this day and age, it would have worked, you know. But anyway, this is uh, drive-in theaters ate this stuff up, and you know this picture. Hey, was, I ate this stuff up. I still do. This picture was released, you know, in Europe and, uh, and in Mexico, all around. In fact, I think uh, Mike told me he has a, a Mexican one sheet on it or something. Really? Yeah, he just found it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, I, I mean, I, there's nothing more memorable than a really ridiculous monster. You know what I mean? And, and they're the best. They're the ones I remember the most. You know, they're, they're not ones. We have another one we're putting out. It's a giant mutant sheep. <laughs> a mutant sheep? Yeah, it's like an eight-foot mutant sheep. Was it cloned? From no, 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 I, I'm not sure. It's, I've seen it many times and it's, some gas makes an embryo appear. Oh and my turns God, out. look at Doug. <laughs> oh, poor Doug, his bag went down. That's, that's John now, isn't it? Yeah, that's Vella. Yeah, yeah. With, with melted Doug on him. Right. <laughs> with the melted Doug. But what did Joe hit him with the flare? We were talking. No, I think the flare fell into the fish tank and killed oh, the other. Oh, oh. Yeah. Blew up his. Killed uh, his pet jellyfish. Mm -hmm. Well, that, uh, you know, seriously, that's not bad special effects for that, that bag that's melting over his face. <laughs> I forget how we did that. Listen, if I had seen this in 1967, I, I, I would have been thrilled because I was thrilled when I saw it uh, a year ago. Mm -hmm. Well, back then it really held up good, you know. Uh-oh, uh-oh, we're going to blow. Big explosion. And, oh, John, Egon, what's happening? Uh, there they go. Boom, to the surface, back in the Everglades. And there's the CO2 blew up the... Uh-huh. Uh, The Rainbow River is a beautiful, beautiful uh, area to dive in, and uh, that's why we chose it over uh, going out in the ocean. I mean, how many jellyfish are really in the Everglades? In the Everglades, none. <laughs> because <laughs> the jellyfish are, uh, you know, salt water. Uh -huh. But uh, some way, Egon okay. yeah. drifted in from the ocean. Yeah. On, on, uh, on a glad bag or something. 
And uh, look, look at this. And they're going to drive off into the sunset, I bet. So what, what do you think, Frank? Do you think uh, we can uh, go to the drive-in and see this? <laughs> I think it's a drive-in classic. Yeah, the drive-ins used to cost like 50 cents, though. Uh, and then you'd cram the uh, trunk, uh, trunk with all your friends. And, that's, you know. the, that's the, or, or climb over the wall and, yeah. and uh, get in free. But anyway, sting of death. And yeah. now uh, I think we're, we're going to go to Death Curse of yeah. Tartu. Everybody switch over and we'll meet you on the other side for Death Curse. Bye-bye.